Hi there. Thank you for joining us on the Redeemer Church podcast. Here at Redeemer, we exist to see Christ exalted in our church, community, and world. It is our mission to lead people into the presence of God, devotion to His Word, authentic fellowship with others, and discovering their ministry. We hope that this podcast is just one of the ways you connect to God's presence this week. Let's check out this week's message. Good morning, everyone. It is good to be with you in worship today, and hello to all of you who are traveling or worshiping from home this morning. It is good to be with you online as well. We do have a lot of people traveling, as you can see, so I'm going to need you to talk back to me this morning so that I know that you are here. Is that all right? That was your first chance. I need you to talk back to me today. Is that all right? Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers. Before we dive into scripture, how about a few dad jokes? Because my kids actually have to sit through them right now. So here's the first. Uh, Why did the golfer bring two pairs of pants? In case he got a hole in one. Very good. Why do seagulls fly over the sea? They flew over the bay, they'd be bagels. That's right. Somebody got real tickled by that one. All right. Uh, What do you call a pencil with two erasers? Pointless. What vegetable is cool but not that cool? Cucumbers aren't cool. It's a rad-ish. This one's a, a commonly known joke. How do you make a Kleenex dance? Put a little boogie in it. Why couldn't the bicycle stand up by itself? Because it was too tired. And lastly, why was the preacher soaking wet while preaching? Church had a holy roof. And if you didn't laugh at anything just now, now is your chance to give me at least one courtesy laugh. Please. Thank you. It's enough of that. Today is June 19th, otherwise known as Juneteenth, the day that we celebrate the abolishment of slavery in the United States. And if you missed it this week in the Buzz email, there was a link uh, that was released by our denomination, an article written by Jelani Greenidge, and it explains more about Juneteenth, what it is, how it came to be, and how we celebrate it as well in our nation. So I encourage you If you missed that article this week, please check that out. We continue on our journey through Romans. Today we'll be in Romans 6, 1 through 14, if you'd like to turn there. And if you have missed any of the messages in this series throughout this summer, that's why we have our sermon archives online, so that you can go watch and catch up and view whatever you missed. Today's passage continues Paul's description of the new life that we live in Christ, having been justified by faith. Remember previously in 5, 1 through 11, the justified live in the context of peace and reconciliation with God. And from 5, 12 to 21, because of God's grace, we have life in Christ Jesus rather than death in Adam. Romans 6. Before I read the text, I'm going to ask you a question. Who recognizes these kids? Go ahead. Yeah, show of hands if you know who we're talking about here. 
This is part of the cast of Stranger Things, which is currently the top-watched Netflix series in 93 nations. Andrea and I don't watch a lot of TV until the summer. Things slow down a little bit for the kids, and we can kind of hit the couch and relax a little bit, and we are watching Stranger Things. The setting is in the 1980s, a group of young friends witness supernatural forces and secret government exploits as they search for answers. They unravel a series of extraordinary mysteries, this sci-fi stuff. I don't know why we're watching it. At least once per episode, I look at my wife and go, why are we, why? I hate this. It's so scary. We don't like scary stuff. And every episode, part of it, I'm watching like this. Just, I hate it. And what I really hate about scary shows is when the scene goes completely quiet and the camera zooms in and you know something's about to jump and so you prepare yourself and then when it jumps, the cello makes that loud noise like, that was pretty good, that's what it sounds like. And the thing jumps and then I jump off the couch. It's terrible. I hate it. Um... And in the show, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. There's an alternate dimension that parallels the human world, and this alternate dimension is a very dark place, very dark. And from the episodes we've watched, I've picked up on the fact that this darkness is ever-present, all-powerful, it is inescapable. Everywhere these kids go... The darkness is seeming to follow them. They can't get away from it. And here's how this illustration applies to this sermon. This is often how a Christian perceives sin. Right? I mean, this is how we perceive sin can feel ever-present, all-powerful, and inescapable. And this is Paul's primary concern with Romans 6, 1 through 14, a Christian is free from the power of sin and death. Preaching to one person right now. Say this with me. A Christian is free from... Nope. We're going to say it like free people. All right? A Christian is free from the power of sin and death. After this sermon, maybe you've picked up on this as a theme in our worship this morning. God is our Father. We run to Him, right? We're made free. We're alive in Christ. We're going to sing a song after this sermon is over about that freedom. Don't sing it like you're in bondage, okay? Sing it like you are free. Don't, this is not, this isn't how the free sing. I am free to live. That's not how free people sing. We bring our worship to the Lord as free people that we are. We express our gratitude for that freedom. Like Stranger Things, the show, there is an alternate dimension, right? That, that, we, that, that we understand. It's sin. 
and it's very, very dark. And sometimes it can feel ever-present and all-powerful and inescapable, but I'm here today to tell you it's just not. It does parallel our Christian walk, but as a Christian, you are free from the power of sin and you are free from the power of death. And that's what the Bible says and that's what we believe. Okay, you ready? Romans 6, one, one through four. Here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Notice this repetition of the verb might increase. It's from Romans 5.20, and it links Paul's questions back to this claim that the law was added so that the trespass might increase, but when the trespass increases, what happens? Grace increases all the more. Well, if that's true, why not keep sinning? If there's fully stocked shelves of unlimited and unending grace, why not keep sinning? Well, because we've died to sin. That's why. We have a new identity and our behavior should be consistent with our new identity in Christ Jesus. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that, look at this, those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That's how we live. Not for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised again. Our death to sin is the death to our self-centered way of life. It is only made possible by God and through Jesus Christ. Quickly, as one of your pastors, here's a gentle nudge. If you are a profess, professing Christian, you're walking with Jesus and you've never been baptized, you know what time it is? Time to be baptized. What a joy it would be to share that moment with you, that sacred moment with you in this journey that you are on with Jesus. We are called to be baptized. Verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self, how about everybody says old self? Our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with and that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. My goodness, isn't this good news? One day, believers will be united with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. And one of my favorite words this week, as I just stared at this passage, as I prayed, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, give me new, fresh revelation on this word. In particular, one word leapt out of my Bible, and it's right there in the middle of verse 5. It's the word, certainly. Certainly. Although this promise will be fulfilled in the future, 
we should feel no doubt or uncertainty. Here's more certainty in Paul's tone. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ. We don't wander. We know. We have certainty. And Paul's language frequently refers to the old self and the new self. Perhaps you know 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is what? Here. The old's gone. The new's here. In the NIV, the new is here. That's maybe how your Bible reads, but I took a moment this week and I looked at this passage in the Greek, and this is really fun because it's, well, it's really fun. Look, it says, Edu gaganen kaina. Say that with me. That's great. Very good. This doesn't mean the new is here. Yeah, the new's here. If the old's gone, the new's got to be somewhere, right? I understand that. That's how the NIV packages this passage to help us understand the new is here, but it's bigger than just being here. It means behold, look, come and see, the new is born. We're talking about not just the presence of here, but creation of something new from Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus, for something new to be reborn in me, something's got to die. And it's the old self. It's the old Adam. I always hesitate saying my own name and identifying with that because you think I'm in Genesis right now. Talking about me. My old self is gone. The pre-Christian me has been crucified with Christ. Meaning anytime we are tempted to sin, we're tempted to sin, right? Is it just me? We're tempted to sin. Anytime you and I are tempted to sin, it is not your pre-Christian self making a major comeback. It's not the old Adam swinging elbows and saying, I'm back. No, that Adam was crucified with Christ. It is no longer he who lives but it is Christ who lives in me. So when I'm tempted to sin, it's not the old person coming back. It's not that we're supposed to sit there and think, am I really a Christian? Does God really love me? Do I really know Christ? It's not to make us doubt our salvation when we're tempted to sin. All we need to remember when we're tempted is that I am, you are a new creation, period. And when you're tempted, when you're tempted, you're just still getting acclimated to that new heart. That's what that is. It's not that you're a bad person. It's not that you're unworthy of God's love. It's not that you need to sit around and think, wait, 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 wait. Did the redeeming work of Christ actually work in me? Yes, it did. We're just getting acclimated with that new heart. Remember God's promise when we're tempted. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 12, and 13. I'm out of breath. I need a second. 
If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So when you are tempted to lie, nope, that old self was crucified. When you are tempted to cheat, mm -mm, that old self was crucified. You're tempted to steal, nope, that old self was crucified. You're tempted to judge someone, no, that old self was you tempted to lust. Hmm. That old self was when you are tempted to gossip. I'd let that sink in a little bit. When you're tempted to gossip, no. That old self was crucified. When you are tempted to hold a grudge, no. That old self was crucified. God gives us a way out of our temptation. And that way out has a name. The name is Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know, we know, hear that certainty. We know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, hmm, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Did you hear that sound from heaven? Did you hear the cuffs falling off of your wrists? Did you hear the chains unbuckling from your feet? I mean, y'all, says you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Sin shall no longer be your master. This is good news. We've covered what it means to be dead to sin, but what about being alive to God in Christ Jesus? When we are in Christ, we belong to a realm that he rules. It's his kingdom. He's the king. He has dominion. He's, it's his kingdom. And if his death and resurrection have effectively atoned for our sins, if his death and resurrection have effectively reconciled us to God, if his death and resurrection have effectively broken the power of sin, if you consider this to be true, if I consider this to be true, then we must live in a way that is consistent with this truth. Just like Paul's original audience, our worldly surroundings invite and encourage sinful behavior. Is this news to anybody? I mean, it's a tough world. And when people go on and on and on about how ugly the world is and how uglier it's becoming, study the first century context a little bit about what Paul's writing to. 
It's been ugly all the time. I mean, sin is sin, and it's existed over the course of history. But today in our present age, it is difficult, right, to resist sin and temptation. We don't even like to talk about it. Some of y'all have been tense ever since you figured out what my theme is this morning. Sin. Churches don't talk about sin. Other churches argue definitions of sin. In verse 11, look at this call. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself dead to sin. In other words, make a conscious mental effort to keep in mind at all times your new identity in Jesus Christ. Count yourselves dead to sin. And as a result, through the power of Christ, we conduct ourselves in a way that is consistent with our new identity in Christ. That old self is dead. You ever heard the phrase, you can take the Israelite out of Egypt, but you can't take the Egypt out of the Israelite? Well, you can't, but Christ can. Frederick Bruce who's a marvelous scholar to read if you'd like to look more into him. He writes, Is this an exhortation to pull ourselves together and make a new start? Is this a good resolution to do better in the future? Is this just an exertion of the will or an effort of the imagination? No, it's not. When men and women present themselves to the living God, he accepts them as his servants and gives them power to do his will. The Christ of whom Paul speaks is the Christ who truly died and rose again, and in the lives of those who put their trust in him, he breaks the power of canceled sin. I'll give you an example of this. A few years ago, I was attending a school a few miles away from here, and it's called the Pure Eyes Training Academy. Has anyone heard of this? There's multiple schools in the area called the Pure Eyes Training Academy. That's what I call it. Some people just call it the gym. To maintain pure eyes at the gym these days, you got to keep your eyes on God. Literally, you got to walk around the gym like this. And people can wear whatever they want to wear. That's their business. But lust is a sin. Am I talking to anybody right now? But we've accepted it so casually in our culture. Just look at the gym, look what people wear. That particular gym is an invitation for a daily eye workout. I'm trying hard to present this in a comical way. Y'all got to help me out. So you know what I did? I worked out blindfolded. I'm just kidding. 
I quit my gym membership. And I figured out new and creative and weird ways to work out at home. So what about your memberships? What about your subscriptions? What about your relationships? What about your routines? What about your habits? What about your spending? What about your Friday nights? I'm not trying to step on your toes unless you're sliding them over here. All I'm asking is, is there one minor adjustment that you could make in your life that would set you free from temptation to sin so that your conduct will be consistent with your new identity in Jesus Christ? Is everybody okay? Everybody take a deep breath and exhale. This now concludes another sermon at Redeemer Church on sin. And we made it. But I'm not done yet. Will you stand to your feet? As you do, I'm going to read another translation of Romans 6, 1 through 14 over you. And I invite you to let this sink in today and if necessary. Reclaim this over your spiritual life this morning. If you're comfortable, you can even reach out your hands and just receive these powerful truths from God to your life today. What do we do? Do we keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving us? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize that we packed up and left there for good? That's what happened in baptism. We went under that water and we left the old country of sin behind And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. When we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to that cross with Jesus. A decisive end to that sin, miserable life. No longer captive to sin's demands. What we believe is this. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue, and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. Remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin cannot tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. So let's worship like the free people that we are. Amen. 
Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church Podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.